listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> it's good to have you. It's good to see you. I'm so excited. I miss Battle Ready. I miss our whole uh, crew out there across the world, and uh, I miss talking to you and uh, having these fun ramblings. I miss Austin, although I see him all the time, but I just miss You see me all the time. I That's saw you true. before this episode. We had coffee That's this right. morning. I'm not able to miss you. I see you all the time. I, I miss Mariah. <laughs> yeah, no, she's I'm 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 here with her dog. I've been house sitting for Mariah while she's away on tour. And, um, and I, let's, I, I want to say uh, Mariah is on tour right now with Jake Goss and Laney. They went to an Arkansas game. So I am repping Arkansas, who just won. Uh, this past weekend, so it's kind of awesome. And uh, that is a few times you'll awesome. ever see me wearing a Razorback jersey, but that's because I'm a good father-in-law. You are, but you're a chat. We're a Chapel Hill, North Carolina fans. That's we are. We are baby blue. Carolina I'm a Tar blue. Heel, Carolina blue guy forever and ever. Okay, so uh, a lot has happened since we've been away. So I think there's a lot to address. There's a lot to get into. But first things first. You know, we have been trying to figure out what we're going to do with the art of communication. And, you know, one, we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people go through this program, go through this coursework, which I think has been really incredible. And the feedback's been amazing. So that's been special. And we were talking the last couple of weeks on like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We get a lot of people who reach out and go, I want to buy it, but I also want the Q&As. I want to yeah. be a part of the Q&As. Because we said like, hey, the 10 hours of Q&As we've done, they're up there. You can get them for free. Uh, not for free. It's a part of the package, but essentially it's bonus content. But we decided to do this. We decided to do a second round of Art of Communication. We are doing a new intake. We're doing a second round. And you have come up with, so essentially it's Art of Communication Part 2 slash Self-Discovery. It was sort of a spontaneous thing uh, that um, I initiated around my birthday. I said August is my birthday month. And so as my birthday present, I'm going to do something special for everyone who joins up with Art of Communication. And we're going to uh, have another live Q&A session. Maybe what we're going to do, three, four uh, weeks. I think four uh, to six weeks. In. We're going to do four, four to six, six weeks. Oh, we're being very generous. Ten, ten was <laughs> too long. <laughs> ten is too many weeks. Well, I mean, there are people who were with us the whole ten weeks, and they would have just kept right on going. So I'm not sure if it was too long for those who stayed with us for ten weeks. And I had a great time. I love the interaction. I love the q and I love getting um, – to feel as if it's not just um, a relationship with a customer, but you actually have a community that you are developing together, you're growing together, you're learning about each other, you're, you're, you're really able to help people in a more significant way. And out of that, um, there have been several things that have just percolated in the environment. So we are starting a school of communication uh, for those who do not want simply to um, access a seminar or a masterclass on communication, but really want to make developing their communication skill, a lifelong learning experience. And so oh, we're going to uh, open up it's this world. Yeah. I think, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I think it's really special. I think what we learned in the first round of Art of Communication was one, people are hungry. Hungry yes. to grow, hungry to learn, hungry for accountability and community around the Art of Communication. And not just our program and our coursework that you created that we got to be a part of, but around this idea of like, no, to, to be a great communicator, you have to understand not just how to communicate, but the way you should communicate and, and also like learning like the, the, your strengths and your weaknesses inside of communication. Okay, my favorite part of the art of communication was the Facebook groups. So we created this private access Facebook group for 10 weeks. We were in there interacting, responding, commenting. But the thing that's wild is that it really like almost didn't involve us at all. It was this incredible community where people are just keeping each other accountable. Like, what did you guys, how did you guys use the first part of the art of communication in this week's message or in this week's business meeting or in this sales pitch? And people were giving up their feedback, giving up their insights. It, this, this kind of like really beautiful, natural thing happened. And that's the part that I think we wanted to harness in the second round is not just the new content you're creating that you're kind of adding as an additional module. Cause this isn't just the same content, right? No, no, it's very different. It's very, it's, it's very different, but I think it's like in a great attachment to, to the first round. Well, it, it's not um, a change of philosophy. It's actually just building on the philosophy and adding nuances 
based on the needs of the people who've been interacting with us for the past year. And as we were creating this content, this really feels more like a prologue to me. It feels like the thing you need before the art of communication, which is messed up of us. <laughs> but it came, hey. at, but, it, but it's designed and kind of built around the concepts that we learned inside of the art of communication with the interaction of the crew that did it in the first round. Yeah, but if George Lucas can do it with Star Wars, we're all right to do prequels. Yeah. I mean, you, you can come out a decade later going, that was really the middle. That wasn't the beginning. <laughs> right, right. So, but building the school of communication, essentially, we're going to keep that private Facebook group going after the four to six weeks of Q&As that we're going to build around the second module, which is really exciting. So, yeah. it, no, go. No, no, no. I just, um, for me, it's really exciting because you have two different aspects I think that we'll really be focused on. One is helping everyone make incremental changes, incremental improvements. And so there'll be sort of a, a developer kind of concept in it where if we can just help you improve by 5%, we can help you improve by 3%, by 10%. Um, it's gonna have a, an exponential effect on, uh, on your ability to communicate. But also we're gonna have a, a maximizer kind of mentality as well where, um, we're going to help the good get better, but we're going to help the, um, those who are really, really exceptional become great. And I think that's a part of what's exciting for me is, uh, is, is that at first, getting better when you're bad is actually in many ways easier because we can fix some really bad things and get you just a little bit better. But as you get really good at something, now you're thin slicing. Now you're looking at the nuances that move you from being uh, good to being great. And, and I think this kind of environment, the school of communication is going to allow us to do both of those. I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. One, I'm excited because what, what we did in that 10th week on the Q&A is, is basically we were like throwing people into the hot seat the entire time. Me and Austin, and I think it was broken test. We're Googling the different speakers that were inside of the, the Zoom chat and pulling clips and like in the moment being like, hey, by the way, we're about to use one of your, you know, your sales pitch ideas or your sermon prep YouTube moment. And we're going to put it up and the whole class, like a few hundred is going to watch this moment and my dad's going to break it down. Do you accept? And every one of them were like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sent you. And, you know, it was, it was interesting because we asked a lot of people to submit moments where they've been speaking so we can kind of break it down and put it into like this arena this art of communication arena where you break it down rip it to shreds and everyone sent their best moments and they're like no you don't learn from those moments i mean you do learn from those moments but you learn from the, the worst ones too but um well you you do learn from someone's best moment when it's not as good as they thought <laughs> <laughs> so anyways enough of that that's gonna release that's gonna release september 29th hopefully yes, september 29th very, very and, and like, we're, we're gonna we're gonna be filming some additional content this week that's gonna come out um hopefully before the end of the year yeah no 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 that stuff's gonna come out september 29th is it really yeah the stuff you're filming this week is coming out september 29th Austin, are you gonna be sleeping at all for like a few weeks <laughs> Austin's going to be sleeping. He'll be fine. Can you want to talk a little bit about, I mean, one, we've been going on this for a minute, but I think this is just an exciting update. This update is going to be, episode's going to have a lot of updates on kind of everything we've been working on and doing. Also, we're going to get into Game of Thrones, House of Dragons, Lord of the Rings. We're going to get into to Biden. We're going to get into all what, or nothing. The, the heat wave. We're going to get into all or nothing. Yeah. The, the Amazon things. special we got into about the Premier League soccer. What else are we going to talk about? Yeah. Uh, who knows? Who knows? And, and the, by the way, this is not an infomercial, but it is really um, about the most exciting thing that we're doing right now. And um, if I'm not talking about the art of communication, I, I don't know why anyone should be talking about it. It is so important and so critical. <clears throat> but I just finished my next book and I sent it to the publisher. And I think my mind just kept racing and racing and racing. And a few nights ago, I couldn't sleep all night. In fact, I started sending you some thoughts, uh, maybe 11 o'clock at night, midnight. 
I kept writing all night long, five in the morning. Uh, my wife Kim gets up and uh, I'm already awake and she touches me. She goes, you're soaking wet. <clears throat> and I said, <clears throat> I can't explain it. I've been having like this epiphany all night long. I've just been writing and writing and downloading things and I haven't slept at all. I guess some people need, um, I can't pronounce it, is ayahuasca. And uh, to uh, get into like a transcendental state, I don't need that. I just sort of go there on my own and, and uh, sleep deprivation becomes a part of it. And throughout the night, I just kept seeing these different frequencies. I kept thinking about how human beings um, think, interact, connect, communicate, um, at different frequencies and how sometimes you meet someone it's almost as if you're in this at the same frequency even though you've never known each other there's an immediate resonance and then there's other people where you're you're talking and you're talking but your frequencies never connect and you're just desperate to get out of the conversation have you ever been in that one and uh, and it's not that they're not likable or that you're not likable you're just not connecting you're just on the same wavelength and and even when you're married is like there's times in your marriage when you're on the same frequency and it's like this really extraordinary connection between two people. And then other times you're living with a stranger and it's almost like you're on completely different frequencies. And, and you say something, she misunderstands you. She says something, you take an offense and you completely misunderstand what she's saying. Where, where are Austin, you going you, with this? What I'm going through is that going with uh, this. Oh, is where are you going with this? Is that communication has different frequencies and communicators, whether they realize it or not, connect to an audience based on the frequencies that they're speaking at and the frequencies that the audiences are listening at. So I've come up with the, the seven communication frequencies. And these are seven different frequencies that communicators I, I like that. speak from. And, and it's, it's not like um, a personality indicator. It's not like no, you're, it is. You're, it is. You're saying it's not, but it is. It 100 percent is. It is. Well, let I'm me looking you, at it in my phone. No, let I'm, me gonna, I'm closing my phone. <laughs> it well, is where, where no where where it is is it helps you understand the frequency from which you communicate most naturally. It helps you know your your starting point from the frequency you actually emit, whether you consciously realize it or not, and the audience that will connect to you. But it's also not um, limited. It's not bound. Because like when you study the Myers-Briggs, if you're an ISTJ, you're pretty much Enneagram, always an ISTJ. Or if yeah. you use the Enneagram, if you're a, a seven, you're always a seven. And, um, but the difference here is that you can actually acquire different levels of frequencies as a communicator. And it, as you grow and develop as a communicator, you have access to all seven frequencies. And that to me is when you become a world-class communicator. And, and so it helps you know where to start. It lets you know who you are. It helps yourself identify, but it also lets you know what other frequencies are closest to you that you can begin to access in your communication uh, competency and your skill. And I mean, ideally you wanna communicate at such a multiple level of frequencies where the whole audience is connecting to you in your talk. Okay. So this non-personality breakdown is really a personality breakdown in which you discover the frequencies that are most you're most attuned to, but also with the awakening and the self-discovery of what you need to bring into your repertoire, which I think is amazing because the Articom, the original, like the module one, and this is module two, self-discovery, but the first one is really about you understanding the elements in which you need to speak from. Talking yes. about, you know, passion and movement and helping people have an aha moment and how to construct these ideas that not just take the room with you, but also connect and understand and fill them with inspiration, but also educate them and teach them and build them. And so this, I think, really does take the seven communication frequencies really do take the five elements and kind of harness them and and embracing the five elements and going, okay, this is where you're naturally leaning and how do you adjust and build onto it? So you're not just a singular communicator. I have, I, I don't listen to a lot of messages, but I listened to one that you sent that, that not, you didn't send it to me, but um, the global leadership summit sent it to me. I listened to a couple of messages. I'm speechless at how awful they were, to be honest. And I really like the global leadership summit people. I really do. And that, not everyone was bad. 
but the preachers were bad. They were bad, bad. Like they were, that was the people that I've heard do amazing were bad. And it's not a knock on them and who they are as, as a people, but it feels like the frequency that I think maybe the church has been speaking at is a little tired. But we were talking about this because it's not a knock on them, but even Gary Vee, like you look at the business world, he's making a huge pivot in his communication style. Have you noticed this, Austin? He's shifted from like, well, no, it isn't about things. It's about rest. It's about making sure you spend time with your family. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if it's because he went through divorce and he's going through all this personal stuff or if it's because he sees like the Jay Shetties and he sees these like these this kind of almost like this very like Sabbath, uh, what is it, Catholic, you know, the the Portland guys doing this very Sabbath day, no phone, full family life. And bringing that and installing that into his communication style. And it feels like a huge 180 from a lot of these guys' perspective, business perspective of like, get, 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 profit, profit, profit. So I think this is really necessary. But let's, can we, can we jump into the next thing? Yeah, sure, sure. Let's go. Yeah, I'm just going to say, I, I, one of the shifts I see with Gary Vee is so no, moving from- No, no, moving, no, we're not going to switch to the next thing. Well, moving from hustle to happiness is okay. kind of like one of the shifts. Uh, moving from uh, consumerism to like contentment. And, and so I do see these shifts and then, and, and moving from having these, um, Red Bull, um, high octane moments to these more reflective human authentic moments. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing, uh, that I see him going through. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think there's a huge shift. I think. You know, I, I, I often, because I said that one thing about John Mark Kumeyer's book, what is it, The Ruthless Elimination of Hustle. It was not a knock on him. I really like him as a speaker. I think he's really, as you're breaking down your seven, your seven communication frequencies, I think he's really a professor. He really wants to inspire you through the knowledge he's acquired and wants to hand off to you, which I think is really cool. But he lives in Portland, so there's, there's no hustle there, bro. No, unless you work at night. Uh, no, no, but I do think this like elimination of hurry and hustle and, and really finding rest, it is important, but how you rest is important. Like for the last couple of weeks, we haven't been doing this, but I don't feel like we've been resting. I feel like you just wrote a book. I just read through your book a few times and you just came up with this and I've been going through this a few times. We're working on the next collection that we got to fly out to New York and finish and or start and, you know, talking with graphic designer, talking with Austin, talking with these people. Austin was gone for a week and a half. And that's probably the more rest I got. <laughs> I think it's time to one. You just finished a book, dad. I did. I just sent it to the publisher. I'm excited about it. Of course, it takes an entire year from the moment you send it to them to the moment it actually ends up in the bookstores or on Amazon. So um, it's just right now, that's it's, like such an, next, it's ridiculous. It's such an ancient um, process, right? It, it, it's crazy. It, it, it doesn't match the um, the time frame in which people are are, are expecting or need uh, things in our present world. Yeah, it's waiting. It waits. They wait way too long. Like they they wait way too long. Um, but with that, we'll pretend like we just came up with the idea in 2023 September when it comes out. <laughs> um, okay, so we we just we, I say we. I, I read your book. It's phenomenal. Chapters one, three. Six and seven are my favorite. Um, I'm not going into why, because I can't reveal what you're talking about, but I really like the way you break it down. Um, okay. Game of Thrones, House of Dragons. What do you Versus think? Versus Lord of the Rings. No, first was the Game of Thrones. Uh, well, you know, with Game of Thrones, I remember the, the first time it came out, I stopped watching it because it just like, there's just so much like. No, no, no. We're talking about the new one, House of Dragons. Yeah, but I'm saying the the it's almost like every episode one of of a Game of Thrones has to have pornography and it has to have you know some really like intensely sexual scene. Was there sex and in so that I, one in the House of Dragons episode? Yeah, I, I you know who had sex. It you know you just have to fast forward. It is like did you watch but, Austin? Yeah, I did. No, no. Be more specific about the question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Was there a bunch of sex? Yeah. yeah, he was in like a full-on brothel. Like yeah. most of the times. Yeah. No, I just <laughs> I clicked the little next 30 seconds or next 10 seconds yeah. thing until I I see no yeah. more sex. 
I will say it's probably a show that will make you never want to have <laughs> an intimate relationship in the rest of your life because it's not like uh, yeah. appalling. But but I will say story-wise, I thought it was pretty phenomenal. The and first episode. The, the character, yeah, the first episode, the characters are amazing. I don't know all their names yet. Uh, yeah. But um, girl plays lead. Um, Renéis. Renéis, she's amazing. And uh, I just really thought it was um, maybe a better first episode than the original, which is really hard to do. I don't know. The first episode of the original was a bloodbath. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. But it took, it took me a while to get through the first one. So, <laughs> Okay. So if, if you were going to choose, did you also watch the new Lord of the Rings? I tried multiple times and I kept falling asleep. And I watched that to it. me is, is and what do you think? I, I, I'm like such a, I'm such a big fan of Lord of the Rings. I'm yeah, such a big fan. I'm a big fan of the books. I'm a big fan of the movies, even The Hobbit. Even <laughs> as boring as The Hobbit was, I still loved it. And this series doesn't have it. It doesn't have it. It's cool, though. I mean, it's so interesting. Like, I love that they're exploring Middle Earth. I love that they're exploring and kind of giving you more of a background of the elves. It doesn't have it. It's it's gonna. They spent a lot of money on it, and it it doesn't have it. I, I'm gonna watch it to the end because it's Lord of the Rings and it has that kind of that name brand. You know, I'm so it's this, this is my childhood. It's like you know, you grow up reading these books, and it's it's so crazy to me that I wasn't allowed to read and watch Harry Potter, but I was allowed <laughs> to read The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings series. That stuff is way darker, way darker. It is funny. It is so true. And I mean, I'm a Tolkien fan. And I love Tolkien. And yeah, and I, I think it's kind of funny because I guess for a lot of Christians, you can have really dark evil because, you know, as a Christian, you believe in evil, but you can't have um, warlocks and witches who are good because Christians are against like witchcraft. So, yeah. uh, you know, the Hobbit was, I mean, uh, yeah. Lord of the Rings, yes. Uh, Harry Potter, no. But in the end, you have to realize Harry Potter wouldn't exist without Lord of the Rings. I mean, I, I don't think Game of Thrones. I don't think Game of Thrones would exist without Lord of the Rings. Game of Thrones. Yeah. All, yeah. yeah. Game of Thrones is like a medieval NC-17 X-rated version of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And and maybe, you know, I mean, I'm not sure what the philosophy was behind Lord of the Rings. I hope they, they I hope it picks up. I hope it finds its way. Um, but character development is really the key to, to me. It's not even, you know, it's not dragons. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not the animation. It's not, um, even in some ways the universe it's, are you developing characters that we resonate with and we connect to, and we, they feel real and we care about their life and we, we don't want to see them harmed. And, uh, we want to see, you know, their, their longings fulfilled. And, uh, it, it always to me ends up coming down to the writing and do the writers seem to um, own the reality of these characters of this universe of this reality. So there's a lot of controversy with both Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings because you have two series where I don't think there was a lot of diversity written into the actual books. But in both of the shows, you have the I think is the Valerians who are black with white hair in Game of Thrones, and you have a young black elf, who I guess he's actually probably quite old because the elves don't age. Um, and he's young black, and he is a part of the, the elven community in Lord of the Rings. And there's a ton of backlash. It's all over TikTok, all over Instagram. People who are like purists are saying, you know, what, you can't add race post the book coming out. And then there's always people going like, don't be racist, be you know, racially sensitive, be more diverse, be open-minded. There could have been black elves and there could have been black Valerians in Game of Thrones. I mean, at the end of the day, this just didn't, none of, the books aren't real. The books are real. The stories aren't real. So is it, how do you feel about this kind of like, you know, not, I don't feel like it's an over-diversification of the characters, but I do feel it is like a racially inclusive way of building the storylines. What do you think of it? Is it weird? Well, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that. I think of Bridgerton where, you know, you have um, yes. all the, the uh, black characters in a very British white world. Right? And right. 
Uh, you know, and so I want to see some El Salvadorian representation in there. Some shorties yeah. in there. I'm available. I'm SAG. You know, guys. Uh, Are you SAG? I am SAG. Yeah. Screen yeah. Actors yeah. Guild. Go yeah. get it, Poppy. <laughs> you go. You go ride yeah. some horses in Bridgerton. Yeah. You know what? And what I what what comes out to me is, um, do the actors bring? a level of authenticity to their part where you're no longer thinking about them as white or black or Asian, or, uh, you know, is it Sandinson that had um, um, the actor from Crazy Rich Asians, you know, and, and Which, he does, oh, yeah. And he does a great job. And so first of all, everybody's saying you need to be a purist. I mean, what is an orc? Like, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, yeah. and, uh, I'm going, well, look, they're not real. Is. <laughs> Yeah, they're not real. <laughs> you know, not real. And uh, what is real is a is a diverse world. I mean, the world of Tolkien wasn't a diverse world, and um, and and so I I'm like, hey, rewriting is supposed to make sure that that the original text is relevant to the moment in which it's being experienced. So I'm for diversifying uh, a film. I don't think it diminishes. I don't think it it, make, it, it makes it unpure. I, as long as you're working with the writer's intent, I think if Tolkien had written it today, it would have been incredibly diverse. And I think it's just reflective of the time in the world and the experience that he had. I have no problem with it. it it's a little, it's funny in Bridgerton because Bridgerton, it, it this is the thing it, it feels it's a modern take on an old style yeah right and so it does feel a little weird in certain aspects of like the bbc world where it's just it's very jane austen old british it's not it yeah. be, d d is it does it still remain an accurate depiction of the of the text no when you add uh, diversity no bridgerton is a contemporary story pretending to be in ancient times e well, even I, the even the value systems, the uh, the POV, the uh, the way they saw reality, the uh, the monologues, are not reflective of that time in history, and what I, reflective of this time in history. And what just I do understand that. Yeah, what I do find is interesting though is the same people who have a problem with this are the same people who actually think the people in the Bible were white. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, like that's just <laughs> that's freaking right. stupid. Like, you think Jesus had long, flowy hair? Like, that's just, no, he probably had some nappy hair for sure, or at least some curls. My man <laughs> was looking not like Salt Lake City. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how do you think I feel? I mean, you know, as a Latin, we have so few heroes, and every time I'd see Zorro, he'd be a, a guy from England. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, and, yet, and yet they have no problem casting, what, what's his name, James Franco? Is, is it? Is it uh he's gonna so, play Fidel Castro? What the actual garbage crap is that? Well, That's because there, are, there there are no good Latin actors in the world. And so you have to go to find some guy from England or the US or Australia. From, I guess go find I mean, someone from England. Go find somebody. Don't put me, don't put James Franco. Yeah, but you know it's funny. Fidel Castro, are you kidding me? I, I remember a decade ago when it was um was it is uh, Henry Cavell? He's British, right? Henry Cavell, yeah, the worst Superman of all time. And people love him. I mean, they, they're looking at moving him over to the Marvel universe, right? You know, are they? Yeah, yeah. And he, here's the thing: is like I remember when they started hiring British actors and Australian actors to play American characters, and um, you, you know, and. And then it was kind of funny going, wow, you have to go to England and Australia to find really great actors to play these roles. And they had to learn American accents, which is kind of hilarious. I guess Wolverine's technically Canadian, by the way. Wolverine oh. was the, he was the first like really Canadian superhero because they had to figure out how to grow the Canadian audience. I knew there was and, something uh, weird about him. <laughs> so, so Hugh Jackman, who's an Aussie, is playing a Canadian who everyone thinks is an American. And, okay, uh, but so anyway, I, I guess feel, that's a part of acting. You feel yeah, good about part of acting, but you feel good about the diversity. I feel great about diversity. I, I think uh, we keep we have to keep asking the question: um, Is the story 
for everyone that we're creating it for right now. You're, you're not creating this, this film or this series for someone in the 1800s. You're making this film for people who live in this time in history. And that's why it's important. So we need, we need some, uh, some Salvadorians in Black Panther then. <laughs> and uh, I that think, I think, though, right? For sure, there'd be a lot of little people running around. Hey, I'm 5'11. Come on. You're about the only tall Salvadorian from El Salvador. There's some little people. Yes, that's true. I'm um, anyways, but we do well in the jungles, though. That's all I'm saying. Give us some machetes and let uh, King Kachala. Is it Kachala? T'Challa. T'Challa. King T'Challa's little sister can make us some wild suits. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Okay, okay. So I, I think Game of Thrones, House of Dragons over Lord of the Rings, hands down, but I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to keep watching it. While Austin was away, I also got into All or Nothing on Amazon Prime, which is a Premier League, and this is getting into like what we want to talk about, Premier League soccer. So Premier League football. And it is like the hard knocks of the UK. And yeah, I, I am already addicted. I mean, Aaron, you turned me on to All or Nothing. I yeah. started with Arsenal and, yeah. um, and then switched over to Man City. Yeah. Finished that entire series and went back and finished Arsenal. Yeah. And um, uh, one, I love it. It's just so well done. And I think it's going to do for soccer or football what F1 has done. Because a part of the reason Americans have such a hard time with certain sports it's because we don't have any story uh, that brings us into that sport. And, you know, um, ABC Sports, which it shows you my age, they, they understood this and, uh, when yeah. I was growing up. And so you would tell the stories of, of the, the players, you know, and so you knew what, what Joe Navitt's story was or, you know, um, Buckus' story was. Or you, and and yeah. they told so, the story of the players. And I think it's so you like the, you like the show or what? I love the show, but the reason I love the show is I think the coaching is at an elite level that you rarely see in any sport. In fact, it may be the highest level of coaching in any sport in the world. You realize how, how one intelligent you have to be two motivational. You have to be three relatable. You have to be. And, and, and we went in, I, I've been watching all or nothing all week. Watched Arsenal, I switched over and watched Man City. And it's really interesting because I would watch Arsenal first, but Man City was the earlier season. And Man City's assistant coach was Arsenal's head coach in the next season. So that was kind of cool. So you're watching Mikel Arteta, Arteta, Arteta um, underneath Pep Guardiola at, at, at Man City. So you kind of watch this whole thing happen. You watch, uh, what is his name? Mikel? Yeah, you watch Mikel kind of learn all these things under Pep, and then you watch him with Arsenal going, okay, you're kind of like Pep, but you're a little different, but you're kind of trying to carve out your own coaching style. And we were learning – I mean, I thought I learned a lot about coaching, learned a lot about inspiration, how to relate to a team, how to build relationships with the team. But one of the things – we went to an LAFC game last night. They do not play the same. No, Pep's whole thing is I mean. playing the beautiful, courageous game of football and then you go over to LAFC and I'm like, those are my guys. I love LAFC, but it is not the same. No, it's not the same yet. And yet, uh, yet. It, will, it will become that level at some point. But what yeah. really struck me, and I think this is an, uh, a, a meaningful conversation, is that those elite coaches are really almost like sports psychologists. It's not just that they know the X's and the O's. It's not just that they're really good at strategy and tactics. They understand how to communicate to each individual player. They understand what makes a player tick. They know what kind of culture and environment they need to create. They know what elevates an, an individual and elevates a team. They war against individualism and actually move people toward a level of, of communal success that um, is very difficult to achieve with world-level talent. And I, I think if you want to learn how to coach people and, and how to optimize human potential, watching the, these series is really, really helpful. Okay. 
So I, I started watching the Arsenal one a few days before I told you, maybe like a week before I told you to start watching All or Nothing. Mm-hmm. I started watching it and realizing kind of the dynamic of the Arsenal team, these young guys who are, I think, all under the age of 25. They're like 20 to 23 years old, all the main starters, which is pretty wild. It's a pretty young rookie team. I mean, these kids have been pros since they were eight years old. They've been in the academies and they grow up in these clubs and these school systems playing professional football every single day of their young lives, getting poached and traded to different teams and getting cuts and drafted. And then you get to this like 20, 21 year old mindset and you realize what Mikel Arteta has to do as a manager is like not only teach these guys how to have like a strong, resilient mindset, but also how to like build and develop relationships and friendships on this mm-hmm. team when guys are getting traded left and right and getting brought in and sent away. And how do you, and then you, and then I watched Man City and I texted you immediately. It was like, Hey, actually watch Man City first because it gives you a lot of the backstory of like what Mikel is going to go into with Arsenal with this, like really kind of this great mixture of veterans who've been with Man City for 10 years when they were terrible to, and then watching them become the, the top club in the whole world for the last like few years to then going into this really, really young team. And the first thing that I noticed was that Man City knew how to have fun. And in the the first episode, there's a lot of this like insecurity in Arsenal. And not that they're an insecure team, they're young. They're trying to figure it out. They don't know their routines. They're they're, they're looking to the coaches a lot. They're looking to like the leadership on the team, but there really isn't anyone who's vocal. You go over to Man City, first step, people are laughing, people are joking, people are jumping on the chairs like screaming and and excited and and there isn't this like nervousness there's this exceptional courageous amount of confidence and joy and I, and this continual reminder from pep that you are the greatest team in the world mm-hmm. even when they lose i just want to remind <laughs> you guys you're the greatest team in the world you're the best players that have ever existed and i'm like and i was learning so much more from i think his coaching style that he has this almost invasive joy when he comes into the locker room. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a reminder that people become um, what you call out of them. They will live up to your expectations or live down to them. Hmm. And uh, which is why I think this series is actually, actually important if you're aspiring to be a high level leader. And, you know, there are occasions where you see this in American sports, you know, where you, you, you see like a Steve Kerr or a Pop or um, a Phil Jackson, you know, uh, coaches who elevate to a whole different level. Um, but you have to realize that, in fact, I just watched this clip with Nick Saban. And he said, you can't have team chemistry unless everyone's either an elite player. He said, if you have... Um, players who are low level and players who are high level, you'll never, you never have chemistry with them. And I realized, Oh, part of the difference with Nick Saban is that, that his teams win because he recruits the best players. Yeah. And in college football doesn't have the level of, of parody in the way it's designed. Yeah. College football doesn't have the level of parody by the way it's designed. It has less to do with um, coaching genius than it has to do with recruiting genius. And there is a genius to recruiting, to identify talent, to be able to recruit them, to convince them to come to your place. But legacy has a lot to do with that. And I had the privilege of listening to uh, Dabo Sweeney in the locker room. And I realized this man is brilliant. I mean, he's just really, really um, not just a great motivator and an incredible inspirer of men, but um, really smart. And and frankly, I'm just going to be a homie and say Mac Brown is the same kind of person. You have a person who inspires. He's the coach of University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. It's just so we're prefacing an asterisk by this this statement. Yeah, and before that, he was at U- University of Texas, and before that, he was at Chapel Hill. And yeah, and they Mac almost Brown came back home, and they got <laughs> scored 65 points on them this weekend. Well, yeah, but we scored 66, so we just needed one more point to win. All that matters. <laughs> All that matters, but. But what I'm saying, though, is that um, I'm not sure why, but in soccer or in football, um, football, the, there is a different level of intellectual and psychological genius that's required uh, for coaching. And I think it's a really amazing thing. Imagine, let's just talk for a minute in terms of like business or church. Uh, if you 
saw your role as a pastor, saw your role as a, uh, a CEO, as my job is to create a culture where everyone elevates. My job is to create an environment where when people have had a bad week, they believe that the next week is going to be better than last week. Your, your, you know, your job is literally to keep pulling people up to the best self and, and you don't disconnect it. In fact, one of the coaches said something to a player about, Hey, if you have any problems, if you have any issues, if you have problems in your marriage, if you have problems with your kids, I want you to come to me. I want you to know I'm available to you, whatever you need. And you see, they don't see people as segmented. They don't go, um, all I'm responsible for is the athlete in front of me. They go, no, what I'm responsible for is the human being in front of me. And if I can help this guy live an optimal level as a human being, he's going to be able to bring his greatest performance as an athlete. So his life as a husband, his life as a father, his life as a human has everything to do with his performance on the pitch. And I don't know that many people get that. And it's so important. It's so, so important. I think one of the moments I really loved about the, and I get really obsessed with certain things, different seasons of time. You know, I, there's a book called Hungry, with Jeff Gordonier, that talks about, it's a New York Times editor, food editor, who follows around the number one chef in the world, Rene Redzepi from Noma in Copenhagen. And he does a biography on him and kind of breaks down his teaming and, and the way he inspires his team and the way he breaks down his team and the way that they create and innovate. And kind of like these three space, and I like I feel like this is a similar reaction to like all or nothing with Man City. With Pep, his entire ideology and and having an ideology. I mean, one of the things you said to me about ten years ago was, you know, you need to come up with a worldview. Like you have to have a way that you see the world. It can be the way someone else sees the world, but you have to decide which way you see the world and how you see it, and be able to explain it and talk about it and live your life accordingly to it. And I don't know if I've ever come up with it, but, I've, <laughs> but I have different versions of the way I see the world. And I, what I love about Pep's version of it, the coach, the manager of, of Man City, is that everything from the medical staff to the coaching staff, in, in, in every scene when the medical guy onboards a new player, he goes, hey, anything, anything your wife needs, anything your girlfriend, like anything, like I don't know, if it's a, like wife or girlfriend, or partner, you know, he asked, like, are you, you have a partner? He's like, yeah, I have a partner. Okay, anything your partner needs, anything your family needs, anything your kids needs, anything, anything you need in your world medically, just come to me. I can, I can help. And it's like, it's this openness going, okay, there's obviously clear lines of professionalism inside of this organization, but there's also this true care about the people and the lives that they live outside the building when they're inside the building. Yeah. There's this Absolutely. camaraderie. There's this elegance and there's this drive to play the game with beauty, with courage. And I love it when he like goes in and cusses him out. He's like, I want you to play with effing courage, with character. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I thought it was really interesting. This kind of use of the word character inside of football because he's going with this accountability inside of the game to do, not yeah. just do the basics, but to like expand upon it and innovate the game in a beautiful way. Yeah, and it's interesting when he goes, uh, it's not about winning or losing. I want to see my team on that pitch. And he's yeah. like, I need you to show up. It's all, he's absolutely convinced that if they can show up, they will win. He doesn't have to yeah. focus on winning. He has to focus on getting them actually present. And a perfect example of this is since I'm, you know, we're both, uh, actually all three of us, I think, really big LAFC fans. And we, we, we you know, we really come to love MLS and here you have um, the Los Angeles Football Club, who has 57 points. They are nine points ahead to win the su Supporters' Cup. They're the best team in all of soccer. And they're destroying everyone. And then they trade nine players and lose the next three matches. They lose one of them to basically the worst team in all soccer. And they're getting beat, what, 3 nothing, 4-1. I mean, just getting blown out. And... Three games later, there's still 57 points. And as I talked to the, the, the leadership there, they were Your telling me, hey, You don't have to play that down. You're friends with the president of the organization and the owners. So just keep going. Yeah. And subtle, subtle um, flex. It's all good. <laughs> they're telling me, hey, you know, it was an emotionally tumultuous transition. 
The nine players who left were emotional. They loved, um, uh, you know, they loved LAFC. Um, the players who remain were best friends with the players who were traded. And it just was really, it rocked the, the psychological and emotional health of the team. And what's interesting is that we upgraded the team. Even though the nine players who left were exceptional, we have better players now. We have some mm. of the best players in all of soccer, but talent never supersedes culture. Mm. Culture always supersedes talent. And that's why it's always team over talent. And we know they finally won again last night after four different matches, but it's taken that long to begin to heal um, the, the culture that uh, had been damaged by the loss of the players. And it's and a lot of people, especially fans, they just go get this player for this player, get the more talented guy over the less talented guy. And you don't realize a guy who has less talent may create a better culture. Mm-hmm. And because he creates a better culture, he's better for your team. Mm-hmm. And when you lose that player who elevates everyone, even though he's not technically the best player in the league, you've really mismanaged your culture mm-hmm. because you've had a higher value for talent and culture. And, you, and I've seen that throughout history. It's interesting because I get, you know, we had a guy come and speak at Mosaic this last week named Jamar Brown King. And we've been friends for, I mean, I want to say 15 years now. Yeah. Jeez. Maybe, no. Maybe like 20, no longer. We've been almost friends for like 20 years. Yeah. Like, back like, when you guys yeah, used to go 16, to clubs together. No. And fights yeah. together. I mean, I knew him. <laughs> no, he never fought, but I definitely fought. Like, I think I was like 17 when I first met him or 18. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like 15, 16 years. Um, but he was in town. He moved to Atlanta, him, his wife, and his kids. And, um, and he came back and spoke on Labor Day weekend. And it was actually a great, a great turnout. Uh, it's, we had this crazy heat wave of like 105 in Los Angeles right now, which makes being outside actually miserable. Yep. Actually miserable. It's awful outside. And he spoke and, and I had so many friends hit me up the night before being like, Hey, is this guy good? Is it, and what they mean by that, is it worth coming to? Yeah. And in my head, I'm just, I find it odd. Cause I'm like, I, I would, I, I, I find that question peculiar and odd yeah. and slightly offensive not to me personally but i saw this guy like ream me on a on a on a comment like like a month ago and then kind of started a downward spiral of my internal mental health and world and he had said he's like i've heard aaron mcmanus speak and i haven't spoken in years i mean i i heard aaron McManus speak and he's honestly not very good so it's ironic that they're all about the art of communication or something like that and i was like well one at this guy like my immediate head goes like screw him like what a what a what a you know bad words and then i was like well yeah i was pretty trash eight years ago when this guy (laughs) obviously lives in the middle of nowhere now like you know like when he lived when he did a stint in la i wasn't very good for sure and then it was like you know mosaic venice and then so much practice and battle ready not that i'm excellent but i'm better than i was and i look at um i look at like these these man city fans and they had these like this this old 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 crusty old guy that was like if if man city beats united today and ends their season this will be the greatest moment of my life Mm. so he's like i have been here when they were terrible they call it the dark ages i've been here since the dark ages (laughs) when they were awful and i'm like you know what i have so much respect for guys like that because those are the guys who go yeah i was here when you were bad and now that you're great i get to say i was i've been a true like not even just fan but like patron supporter this is my club this means everything to me and i'm like can we have that ability and loyalty to people as they grow in their success, as they grow in their favors, they grow in the, the things that they're putting their minds to. Because we live in such a public age now. We live yep. in, so, and we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but like, I think it's so important for us. So every time they text me, I go, yeah, of course. You get to be a part of speaker's journey. But I, I don't say all this. I say, yes, of course. Of course it's worth it. You should go. And then later I usually explain like, you, the reason why, I think there's so much unhealth in the world 
But I think one of the main things is not like we're so willing to see a bad comic because going out and watching comedy is like fun and watching someone bomb is interesting. But we're so reluctant, reluctant to go somewhere where like "Ah, the speaking may not be good. It may not be what I want. It may not serve my needs. So I'm not willing to show up for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's the thing. Like, I've been a Clippers fan for like 25 years. And I will tell you this, I hate that team and I love that team. <laughs> if I could divorce being a fan, I would, but I can't because <laughs> I hate the Lakers more. So I think it's yep. it just, I don't know, I just learned a lot about how to support people in the moments of growth. Yeah, I think it's one thing that's interesting is you guys live in a really brutal world because you guys, watches- you live here too. Yeah, no, the difference is this. Like uh, somebody just sent me a bunch of cassette tape, tapes from my old talks yesterday. <gasps> Who? And I couldn't even open the package and because uh, it's in a box and I just couldn't get it jarred open. And it said old tapes from Irwin's uh, messages. Wait, and how, how long are we talking about? How, maybe, how maybe, maybe 30 years ago. Wait, from what era? Where were you? Uh, here in L.A. when I first came here. <sighs> but, but what we don't have is we don't have any of the tapes from when I spoke in the 90s. Any of the tapes that I've spoken are uh, the eighties. We don't have anything uh, from my early life. And yeah, uh, that means that I had fewer haters <laughs> because yeah. if you were listening to me all over the world, you go, yeah, but that guy, when he started, he was trash. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I started in a duplex with, you know, 15, 20 people. Yeah. So I was, yeah. the best, I, I was the best speaker they had ever heard because, like, you know, no one else was uh, competing with going into the ghetto at that time. And, um, and the truth is that I was able to hone my skills for a decade without a lot of public criticism. Yeah. A lot of internal critique and Kim critiqued me a lot, but, yeah. uh, but not publicly. Yeah, And one of the reasons I think young preachers today have a high tendency toward becoming performers is that it's easier to get good at being a performer faster. And so you imitate a style, you learn how to perform, you learn how to be a little bit funny, and you say, you use a lot of cliches, uh, and you get a win. I right. think that the, re- the reason you have very few developing um, communicators who are authentic and transcendent and powerful and are unique to themselves is uh, it's too dangerous to go through the process of becoming that communicator because people will rip you to shreds. I, you know, I, it, 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 I try not to be a hater because I do like a lot of these people personally. Like I do like a lot of them personally on like a personal level, but it's a circus right now. Like, it's a circus. But I think it's almost like it, it, we, we're doing it to ourselves because young can't survive if they can't survive TikTok, if they can't survive yeah. you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, the critique of the world telling them you shouldn't be on that stage. And it, it does bother me when people DM me, hey, are you speaking this Sunday? Hey, you know, we're in town. We want to know if you're speaking. I don't respond oh to those. God. I, I, I just don't respond to that because I'm going, um, Hey, if I wanted my life to be a life where I was uh, the center stage of a show, I would have gone to make a lot of money uh, in the entertainment field. Um, that's not why I speak on Sunday. Yeah. And, and if you're coming on Sunday, you should be coming because it's church. You should be coming yeah. to worship and to learn, to hear what God is speaking to you. Uh, and hey, thank you for listening to me. But on Sunday, come to hear what God is saying, not what I'm saying. And, but also listen. more than that, I think, you know, not, no, I think it's amazing, but also like be a part of something. Yeah. Because I think absolutely. the reality is that like when you, you say a goat easy fan, you know, like you, you use that language and I never quite understand yeah, what yeah. it is, but this is a perfect example. You're like, are you a fan or are you functional? Are you an actual functioning part of the, the body? And the, the, the mechanism, the organism that it is, the church, the community of it. Like, you know, L.A., I think more than anywhere, maybe New York, maybe Miami, maybe some big cities. I think every place has this. You come, you don't talk to anyone, and then you leave. Yeah. And it's like this deeper bond of can you build relationships and friendships and accountability and all these things. And, and 
you know, or are you just turning up and then disappearing afterwards? Yeah, I just want to like maybe just throw down for a minute because I went to hear Jamar speak twice yesterday. Yeah, I I probably knew the Bible and um, better than most of the people who asked the question, hey, is this guy worth my time? You know, if I can go and I can learn and I can posture my heart to grow from someone who I've mentored most of his adult life. Yeah. And if I can go hear him twice and pay attention twice to learn something fresh and new. Yeah. uh, The problem is not the speakers. The problem is the listeners. And oh, you know, and I want to create an environment where young comics can learn how to build their chops. I want to create an environment where like young communicators can learn how to beat themselves and, and be cheered on without living in terror that they're going to be absolutely destroyed on, uh, you know, uh, through the internet. I want to create a place where people can grow and learn, develop, and we can go, man, I remember when you were not very good. In fact, I remember this uh, security guard came up to me and he said, uh, man, Joe Smith has gotten really good. Uh, I remember when he first started speaking, he was really bad, but he's great now. And I thought, this is is a paid security guard giving critique on our campus pastor. And uh, he's not a a believer, not a follower of Jesus, but at least he's been listening all these years. And he could see Joe grow over the years. But if we not created an environment where you could hear Joe being bad, you're not going to create an environment where Joe gets good. I mean, it's it's so true, right? I think Joe's great. Yeah. I think Jamar's great. I, I I think I think Venice was such a great like example of that mosaic Venice when we had it, you know. And it was I was such an average communicator, below average communicator, but our team was rock solid. Like I would have taken our team to war. Our team was better than every team in our entire church, and most churches because I think they weren't built around me. <laughs> They weren't built to, around a loyalty to greatness. They were built to, around a community of, of greatness, mm-hmm. right? Of like, we're great together. And I think that brings us back to like the Man City thing of like, you know, they were, we're, they're trying to achieve greatness even when the opponent doesn't show up, even when the opponent is so far greater than them, even when they, they fail in the challenge, they got to come back and, and remember that moment where they were great. And I love when Pep, talks to them when they lose like i just love that and we, i know we've been talking for a while and i want to wrap it up but like when pep talks to them and goes remember even when the coach was in there in the press conversation afterwards he says we just beat the greatest team in the world <laughs> you're still the greatest team in the world even though you lost it's okay and it was just this constant reminder of like you can achieve greatness even in your bad moments even those moments where you, you face challenges and that's i don't know for me that was like it's the learning lesson of the era so maybe lord of the rings can still be great even though it's bad right now <laughs> wow that's a way to bring it all the way around it is and, uh, yeah and i think if you're listening today maybe one important takeaway is um make sure that you do everything humanly possible to get in a culture that lifts you up yeah that and make sure that you create a culture that lifts people up and if you're frustrated going i can't find a place where people are positive and they lift each other up then maybe that's your new assignment you Hmm. create a space where people when they get around you start believing that they can uh, be the best in the world i mean it's good this has been been fun good to just shoot the conversation with you have some chats Austin didn't talk nearly enough, but you know, when we're missing Brooke today, but it's Labor Day. So, you know, I'm I'm excited that we at least got this episode in. Austin, thank you for working on Labor Day. No better way to celebrate Labor Day than doing labor. (laughs) Absolutely. No better way. All right. We are going to do, in addition to this episode, we are going to answer some Q&As, but we're not going to do it connected. We're going to just do it as a standalone thing. So we're going to do that right after. If you haven't, if you haven't uh, listened or watched it yet, you know, get ready. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. We are so grateful that you tuned in, that you continue to come back each and every Friday. Uh, we love you guys. We're really grateful for you guys. Uh, you guys can write and review, uh, write and rate a review. Wait, you can rate us and write. It's been a while since I've done this. You can rate and review us on Spotify and Apple music. Uh, so if you don't mind going there, take a second, review us. I would love to break a thousand reviews on iTunes this week. That'd be amazing. We're so, so, so close. So if you've listened to us for a long time and you're like, how can I contribute? 
Go and rate, go rate and review us. Give us five stars, and then you can do it on Spotify as well. I'm really grateful for this podcast. I know we all are, Dad, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next week. All right. All right. Have a great week. All right, bye.